You may remain standing for the reading of the word. We welcome you. We ask that you sign the friendship pad on the left side of the pew before you leave. Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. There were some present at the very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or there's 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none, cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our scripture begins by saying there were some present at this very time who told him about the Galileans. This has very little directly to do with the message, but I can't let it go because these are important little points, I think in the study of scripture. That word that's translated present, there were some present at the very time is the same word that's used describing the coming of Christ. And literally what the word means is they show up, they appear, they come, they arrive such that their presence is felt and it dominates the scene. That's what the word means, the parousia. It's one of the words to describe the second coming of Christ. He comes, he shows up. It is a magnificent arrival and his presence dominates the scene. That's extra, he won't be charged for that. Here starts the sermon. There are three things that are outlined in this passage. One is a story, a historical account of an incident. The second scenario is another accounting of an incident. And the third is the telling of a parable by Jesus. At first, it may not seem how they're interconnected, but one of the things you have to be careful in scripture interpretation is that you don't over interpret a passage. You don't make it walk on all fours as it were. These particular points are poignant, vivid, stark, and simple. These first two are talking about 
things that happened and what should be our reaction to these things. The first one is a story of Pilate's atrocity. Pilate, the wicked governor there in that land at that time that represented the Roman government, had apparently slaughtered some Galileans who were in the temple environs and precinct making their sacrifices and he slaughtered them. This of course is not a widely known story. It's nowhere else are we told about it in the New Testament. But according to Josephus and other writers of antiquity, this fits the pattern of what Pilate perpetrated upon the people. Pilate did stuff like this. It was an atrocity. It was a genocide. It was shocking. And the reason Pilate did it often was just simply to let people know the raw, absolute power he had over them. And especially did Pilate detest the Galileans because those of the northern part of the area there, Galilee, were often known for being rebellious and least submissive to Rome. And so Pilate would from time to time punctuate his authority with an act such as this. And this is what apparently he had done when the report came to Jesus that he had mixed the blood of the sacrifices with the very blood of those Galileans who were offering the sacrifice. This was an act of violence. This was a treacherous incident. And so the people wanted to know what Jesus' response was to this. And it shows us his perspective. Jesus thinks in terms that are different from the people around about him so often. They're thinking in immediate temporal terms. They're thinking in terms of retribution and reaction and response. Jesus is thinking according to the big picture. And so he asked the question, do you think these Galileans were, were, were worse, bigger sinners, more deserving of death than all the other Galileans? In other words, did this come upon them because they deserved it? And Jesus answers that question himself, no. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus sees this atrocity, this violence. He sees this ugly event in the immediate life of the population as a warning, as a sign that they must reckon with their own eternal destinies and know when and how and why they must repent. The time to repent is now. The time to come to the Lord is today. There's only one day of salvation in Scripture. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to repent. So Jesus takes the big view, the big picture. Ultimately, it doesn't come down to the rights and the wrongs and all of the, the, um, the temporary things that we face. 
It comes down to how do you stand with God? What is your relationship with God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you trusted in Him? Have you come to Him? And Jesus tells them a story Himself. They told Him of an event, and He mentions one Himself. He says, Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus tells the reminds them of an incident where the tower that was near the pool of Siloam there in Jerusalem had fallen. And as it fell, it killed 18 people. The first act is an act of violence, a treacherous incident. This is a tragic accident. This was not human violence. This was just simply something that happens. Something gave way, something failed. And so there was a collapse of a structure. And in the collapse of the structure, it killed 18 people. These are the kind of things we contemplate, aren't they? What, what, where is the Lord? And what should we think when something awful happens, when you hear about a murderous incident, an assassination, or an ambush, or some kind of shooting and killing of innocent people? The most atrocious thing that I can remember in my lifetime of many things is when a man killed a whole classroom full of little Amish schoolgirls. And then we can think almost every week or two, we're hearing of some vicious, malicious, violent act on the part of people. And we hear from time to time about accidents, automobile accidents, airplane crashes, structures falling. Probably the one that looms in our mind more than any was 9-11, which was both. It was an act of malicious violence on the part of the wickedest men known to our generation. And yet, in the collapse of the towers, thousands died. Where is God in all this? What does this mean? Jesus said, this is not an indication of a final judgment. This does not sort out who's the sinner and who's not the sinner. This does not sort out the deserving from the undeserving. This is like the rain, it falls on the just and the unjust. But there is coming a day that where judgment will matter, discernment and discrimination will take place. And that's the day that you need to prepare for. And you prepare for that day by repentance. Repentance is turning from your sin, turning from yourself, turning from the way you're living, and turning to God, specifically faith in Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus uses the word twice. Except you repent, you will all, that doesn't leave anybody out. Likewise, in a very horrendous and vicious way, you will all perish. 
That's the serious word this morning. The sweetest verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, uses that exact word. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. There's a perishing a coming. And Jesus warns us about it and uses the incidental things which are in and of themselves horrible events, but uses them as a figure and a type of an awful perishing, a perishing of multitudes that will go into an eternity without Christ, that will go into a time of outer darkness, a place of death and torment, a place where the fire is not quenched and the worm does not die. Far worse than even these horrible things that are mentioned in our text. A perishing. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. When Chad put together the sermon for today, I thought, that's enough right there. <laughs> that's enough. But he added the parable that Jesus told following, and it's a rich parable, and we don't have time to really explicate it this morning, but I, but I can give you the gist of it. The parable is a story about a man who had a fig tree in a vineyard, and he approached it and realized that one of his fig trees, or one of his vines, was not producing any fruit. And so he ordered the vine dresser to cut down the fig tree. And the cutting down, the laying the ax to the root of a tree is a biblical symbol of judgment. It's a cutting off. And so he ordered that tree judged and eliminated. So we can use the space in the vineyard to have a live and a, and a fruit bearing tree. But the vine dresser pled for mercy. The vine dresser said, give the tree a little more opportunity to produce. Give the tree some forbearance. Give the tree some mercy. Give the tree just a little more time. And he said, we'll work with the tree. We'll do what we can. We'll, we'll plow around it. We'll water it. We'll fertilize it. We'll make the tree able to produce. We'll do all we can so that the tree will bear fruit and then come back in a year. And if the tree has not borne fruit, then after this extended time of mercy and forbearance and long suffering, we'll cut it down. But if it has borne fruit, well and good. That's what it should be. Now, I don't have time to tell you how this, this metaphor of the fig tree and the vineyard is all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, in the book of Joel, in the book of Isaiah, God's people, Israel, is seen as a vineyard, a fig tree. And they're seen as bringing forth no fruit. And when John the Baptist came preaching, he preached a simple message. He said, bring forth fruit 
meet or suitable for repentance. He preached, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand and I need to see fruit for repentance. And if not, John said, the ax is laid at the root of the tree. This was one of many, many messages Jesus gave to his generation of Israel that saw him in the flesh and yet refused to accept him as the son of God, refused to believe in him, refused to follow him. Instead, they ended up crucifying him. Again, God extends mercy. And this is just what God does. When God introduced himself to Moses way back in the Old Testament, he said, I'm a God of mercy. I'm a God that extends long suffering to generation after generation. Let me close by saying when the day of perishing comes, it should not be a surprise. When Dives the rich man was tormented in the flame and he looked up to Lazarus the beggar and said, give me just a touch of water, a drop of water to cool my parching tongue. The beggar said, I can't come to you because there's a great gulf fixed, fixed between the two of us. And so the rich man who lived in opulent splendor all the days of his life said, well, at least send somebody back from this place to warn people about it. And the beggar said, they've got Moses and the prophets. They've got the preachers of the gospel. They've got humble, hardworking, sacrificing men who've been called to the proclamation of the gospel who stand time after time as heralds of the king, giving fair warning to God's people. And when the day of judgment comes, it will not be without warning. It shouldn't be a surprise to any of us. Except you repent, you will all likewise perish.